I want to share, start with a story about <clears throat> a soldier who was just dressed in civilian clothes and leaving a camp. And he saw these uh, fellow soldiers working on a wall. And they had this big, huge beam, and they were trying to get it into the wall, and it kept falling, and it was heavy, and it was hard work, and it was frustrating. But there was fortunately a colonel there who was barking orders, who wouldn't let them quit. And he's just beating, you know, hey, get it done, get it done, get it done. And the guy who's passing by says, hey, how come you're not helping them? The guy says, can't you see I'm a colonel? He says, I see that. He said, well, if it's such a big deal to you, why don't you help them? So he did. He got off his horse, and he helped them put the beam up. And it was a lot of work, and he helped them. And when they'd finished the wall, he went to the colonel and said, listen, if you ever need help and uh, any additional help, let your commander-in-chief, General Washington, know, and I'll come. Some of you are going to realize that was Washington who said, I'll come. See, General Washington understood that his people mattered. He cared so much about his soldiers, he couldn't understand the colonel not being willing to be alongside the men. So leadership isn't about barking orders. It's about serving people. And as I think about the world that we live in today, Where are the leaders? Some of you are old enough to really remember or have heard Billy Graham or to participate in one of his evangelistic outreaches or to serve there. I wonder, where are the Billy Grahams in church? Where are the Bill Brights who started Campus Crusade for Christ? Where are the leaders? Look at politics. Where are the leaders? It seems like all we have are people who are fighting with the other side and trying to win stuff. There's no real leaders. We now refer to them as politicians. They're less leaders and statesmen. Look in the business community. We've got people that are just cooking the books trying to make more money. Where are the leaders? Throughout society. More children live in a single parent household than two parent household. Where have the leaders gone? I don't care where we look in society, there's a vacuum of leadership. That's not the way God intended it. One of the great illustrations of leadership from the Bible is Nehemiah. How many of you are familiar with the story of Nehemiah? Jerusalem, the wall of protection was in ruins, tattered, made it, it was a mock, they were mocked and laughed by others because they didn't know how to even protect and take care of themselves. There's no security when you don't have the wall. It's really a lack of pride. When your wall had been ruined and and the fact that you could just let it be there unattended to, not very smart. 
How can you let something deteriorate and just not deal with it? And it was with that that Nehemiah really heard from God and created a plan and a structure, and that wall was rebuilt 52 days, which is an engineering feat at any time, but especially with the provisions and the tools that they had at that time. And so I want to start with, I just want to read a, a few verses from chapter 2 of Nehemiah. And we're actually going to reference a lot of the entire book. But I want to start with chapter 2 <clears throat> and looking at, uh, at verse 10 and reading on. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the ch- children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. Then I arose in the night, and a few men with me. I told no one of what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by the night through the valley gate to the serpent well and refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up by the night and the valley and viewed the wall, and then I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in? How Jerusalem lies waste. Its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. But when Sanballat, the Hornonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they laughed and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. You have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. So what I want you to see from Nehemiah, ten basic leadership principles. The first is that leaders have a vision. You see that in Nehemiah 2, 12. God really gave him clarity as to what it was that he was supposed to do. Okay? The Bible says, without a vision, the people perish. The vision is your purpose. Vision is so important. 
Vision, you have to be able to see something before it can become a reality. And so that vision is that purpose. It's also the passion that fuels you. Vision gives you your purpose, but it gives you passion. When you see people who are living in their passion, they're really living, aren't they? They're not merely existing. When you have a vision and you're able to operate in that vision, you get to really live and thrive, okay? Monday, you're up and ready to go, okay? So vision, having that vision is the first thing that a leader has. All leaders are able to see a vision, gives them their purpose and their passion. And then it's out of that passion that they understand as a leader, if I've got a vision, I've got to be able to communicate the vision. I've got to be able to cast the vision and communicate it. Leadership is really about articulating your vision. There's a famous CEO, former CEO, guy by the name of Jack Welch, probably one of the most successful CEOs in American business history. He was the CEO of General Electric, huge company, highly successful, just a titan of business industry. And they asked him, they said, you know, you're so successful, what did you do to be successful? And he said, I spent 70% of my time communicating the vision. My mistake was I didn't spend enough time communicating the vision. Imagine. So, you know, if you lived in my house, my dad would say, whose name are you, right? We had a vision for what was expected. Are you setting a vision in your household? Do you have a vision at your vocation, where you work? Do you have a vision at the school? Do you have a vision for your children and what they will become, who they will become? Are you sharing that? Too often we know of stories of people who tell their children, you'll never amount to, and, oh, the casting of that vision leads to self-fulfillment of that vision. Is your vision building up those around you? Are you communicating the vision that God has given you? You need to be able to communicate the vision. And it's in the communication of that vision that we begin to create alignment. So a leader will has a vision, will cast, communicate the vision, and then will enlist other people to share in the vision, to come alongside. And it's in the vision and in agreement and alignment that we create connectivity. We connect leader and follower through the vision. It is a wonderful thing when a, when a spouse and a, you know, when, when, when a husband and wife have the same vision and they're on the same page and they connect through that. 
and they have a they have a shared vision of where their family is going, a shared vision of where their kids, what they want for their kids, the 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 purpose, the mission, the legacy, how they want to impact their community. When you have that alignment, boy, it's really powerful. Alignment is created through a shared vision. You know, when you're a member of a congregation, you have a shared vision. If there's disharmony in that vision, if we don't share the vision, you have oftentimes dissension within a church. Trouble and dissension occurs when the vision isn't shared. Now, you can laugh about it at times. Like Most married couples have a vision that the relationship is monogamous. If somebody doesn't share that, there's a problem, right? Okay? You know, we see that raising kids, though, unfortunately, sometimes. You know, not always is there total alignment between the husband and, you know, between the dad and the mom, the husband and the wife. You know, you have to have a unified front when you're raising children. Okay? It's a team sport. Okay? And the more you have, it needs to be more unified. Okay? What's it said? It's like, hey, if you just have one kid, it's two on one. I mean, you know, you're you're good. If you have two kids, it's man to man coverage. If you got more than two kids, it's zone, okay? Defense, okay? You gotta figure it out. But you gotta have alignment in the vision and where you're going. That becomes the calling card. The vision is what unites the people. Nehemiah gathered the people and shared his vision. We read that. And when he shared that vision, that's what enlisted the people. They understood the importance of rebuilding that. Now, the other thing is that if you're going to be a leader, you're going to have the vision, you're going to communicate, cast the vision, you're going to list the people, and then you've really got to empower people to execute their role in the mission and the vision. How many of you have ever had a job or responsibility where you didn't have the authority to act in your job, in your role? How frustrating is that? How would it be if you had to cook dinner and, you know, you couldn't buy the groceries? Somebody else just really said, hey, this is what you got to cook. It may not be what you want. You've got to empower people so that they can actually achieve their purpose, their mission, and their role. Husbands, we can't cut the knees out from our spouse. We have to empower that relationship between spouse. Is we should be empowering each other. At work, your boss should empower you to execute that which you've been hired to do. And there's nothing more frustrating than to be giving a task and not be able to get the authority to go do it. 
It's like, why did you hire me? Why did you want me? And the reason some people don't do that is simply the leader is selfish. They're sometimes afraid, I can't have somebody else get credit. I want to look like the important one. How's that feel? When you're under that type of leadership and your leader just wants to get credit, how's that feel? So leaders who are fearful aren't really leaders, but they're not empowering you. How many of you remember or have read about President Ronald Reagan? Because there's young people in here that weren't, weren't even around. Well, he, he had an interesting thing that he said. Great leaders don't do great things. Their people do great things. See, because leaders know that they're empowering their people to achieve, they don't care who gets credit. They want their people to succeed. They want to empower you. You know, Nehemiah couldn't rebuild the wall all by himself. Do you understand that Part of that vision has got to be so big, so powerful, that the audacity of it is what excites people. See, if your vision isn't real challenging, people don't get excited. Can you imagine if the vision of Generation Church was to go to reach one person, only one person for Christ? How many of you would show up on Sunday? You can't have a small vision. You've got to have a big vision, so big, God-sized, that other people need to be involved in the process. And you have got to see them succeed and be empowered in order to achieve what God has planned. Leaders can't be afraid of somebody else looking good. One of the best definitions of leaders and leadership is your people get better. So if you want to be a leader, you want your people to get better. Every parent, absolutely, we desire that our children have it better than us, right? We want them to be better than us. That's the essence of leadership, your people getting better. Imagine when you come to work and your leader, your employer, their desire is for you to get better, for you to get credit. See, we see this. The good leaders, the good coaches, the good managers in sports, they understand if the team fails, whose fault was it? Theirs. When the team wins, the coach, the leader says what? Man, our players really knocked it out of the park. They did it. They give credit to their people for the success. They take responsibility for the defeat. That's what leaders do. And they empower their people so that they can execute their role in the vision. And then fifth, Leaders hold people accountable. 
You see this in the, specifically in the entire third chapter of Nehemiah. And in, in chapter 4, verse 14. Leaders hold people accountable. Accountability is not one of those words that gets people, woohoo, really excited. Is it? How many of you like being held accountable? I do too. You want to know why? Because I learned it's really about making me better. It's about awareness. Imagine if you just switched the word accountability for awareness. So imagine, so we just said leaders hold people aware. That feels different, doesn't it? In reality, it's the same thing. How many of you, when you think of accountability, you feel pressure? Accountability delivered by a true leader is really desirous of one thing, you becoming better so that you can accomplish what it is for your goal, your purpose. When you have that type of leadership, it really changes you. I experienced the organization that I uh, am affiliated with, the first CEO of that company and the vice chairman of the board of that organization. I actually had an accountability relationship with this lady for almost three years. I had an 8.30 Monday morning call. And I actually, during that time, probably about a year and a half in, I had a tumor the size of a lemon in my neck. Not a really good place to have a tumor, though tumors are not usually good to have, period. So I'm going to have surgery. It's near your arteries, so kind of an operation room, not just an in-and-out deal. So she says to me on my 8.30 call, and we're having the, she said, Jim, you might want to double up on your work activity this week because you're probably going to be out for a few days next week. Now, here's what I want you to understand. At this point, I had been with her for about 18 months. So it didn't catch me off guard. I actually had already learned from her that I should have been doing that anyway, so I was prepared for that. But the reason why I was okay with it, I didn't think of her as being cold or heartless. I thought of her being caring enough to want me to get better. What's the opposite of love? Apathy. A lot of people think it's hate, but it's apathy or indifference. See, loving somebody is, ha- is being able to have carefrontation. You confront somebody with care and compassion. Being silent is being the opposite of caring and loving. So accountability is a key aspect of leadership. And it's a hard thing because the world is full of people who just tell you what you want to hear. Right? There's that commercial where the man and woman have just gone out on a date. 
And she says, call me. He says, I'll send you an innocuous text in two or three days. Oh, and I'll wait two days to respond. And then they admit, we're not going to see each other again, okay? But the reality is, that's how most of us do. We don't want to say bad news. We just fluff aside the bad stuff and just let it lit there. Wait. Does that make sense? So accountability is a critical aspect of leadership. Now, how many of you know that holding people accountable can be a challenge because sometimes it's an uncomfortable relationship? And what I look at is the best way to hold them accountable is the leaders will actually track and monitor results. And the reason why that's important is that if I'm holding you accountable based on results, it's no longer about feelings, okay? So if, if we're just holding you accountable and there's no real monitoring or results, then it becomes about feelings or relationship. How many of you know that feelings can be wrong? Right? You know, you, you love first and then let your feelings follow. How many of you really know that love's a decision? It's a choice. Anybody in here adopted? Anybody adopt someone? If you're adopted or you adopt somebody, you really know love is a decision. My first grandson's name is Alistair. His mother passed away when he was about two and a half years old. My daughter married his dad. So by family, he became my first grandson. I uh, decided to have an incredible relationship with him. It was a decision. So you really understand that love is a decision. And to this, today, he and I have a really great relationship. But it was a decision on my part. And then the feelings for him followed. When you track and monitor results, then you have clarity as to how to hold people accountable. It's no longer just about a personality deal. It's about results. You know, and what, and it's, when you're in a leadership role with somebody, it actually should be first results than the relationship. If you do the relationship first, it's hard to get the results. And if the results don't come, it becomes funky. Most marriage dating relationships are that way. You get the results first, then you get the relationship. So, for instance, that's the purpose of dating. If that man is a yahoo and doesn't do the things you want him to do, doesn't treat you with the respect, you're not going to marry them. You're actually building the, re the results. You're watching the results before you build the relationship. The relationship is coming after the qualities and results that you want from a spouse. Leadership is about the ability to track and monitor results because ultimately that's how your people are going to get better. And then the other things leaders have got to do 
they have really, really uh, got to address issues quickly. We see this especially in Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Nehemiah was willing to deal with the people when there were issues. Leaders take the bull by the horns, so to speak. How many of you remember 9-11? Did you know that there were literally more than a dozen plane hijackings planned for? Did you know that they actually had people on the West Coast that would get in the planes that were supposed to go to the East Coast and they were going to hijack them and knock those in too? that they had places in Chicago that they were going to hit. They had places all over the country. How come that didn't happen? Well, if you don't remember, President Bush made a quick decision to ground all air traffic. It's the only time it was done in our country. He dealt with an issue really quickly and said, hey, wait a minute, this situation is out of control. Got to make a quick decision here. Right or wrong, made a quick decision. It also was what was able to help them understand that any plane that was still in the air wasn't a good guy plane. That's how they knew the Pentagon plane was a problem. That's how they knew the plane that went down in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, was a problem. Because it wasn't grounded. Leadership is about acting quickly. Colin Powell said more lives were lost by not going to war and waiting than were ever lost by going to war. This from a general secretary of state who did not like war, but he understood that inaction is a challenge. How many of you understand when it comes to problems, time is not your friend. You know, you got an issue with somebody and you let time go, the situation doesn't get better. You have a problem, okay? You're, listen, ever made a wrong turn? Time is not your friend. The longer you go down the wrong road, the worse it is, okay? I have to drive on that Pennsylvania Turnpike. By golly day, don't miss a... I missed one exit one time, and it was 24 miles before the next exit. Okay? Time, when it comes to a problem, is not your friend. You know, we say time heals all wounds, but when it comes to problems, it's your enemy. How many of you remember Baltimore, April 2015, the riots? Now, I'm watching that the day it happens, and I looked over at my wife, and I said, I could fix this in two seconds. Now, my wife looked at me like I was crazy because she's heard me say a lot of crazy things over the years. And she just figured this was one of those times. And I said to her, I said, honey, if I were governor, here's what I would do. I'd call the mayor up and say, hey, I'm holding a press conference in five minutes. It's going to go one of two ways. One, I'm going to announce that you asked for me to send the troops, the National Guard, to calm the situation. Or... Two, I'm going to announce that I asked, you refused, but these are my citizens, and I'm going to send them anyway. When you make decisions, 
that's part of leadership. That is not leadership. When you try to figure out which way the people are going and what, which way the winds are blowing and then get ahead. Because oftentimes people that are afraid to act, that's what they're really doing. They don't have the confidence. Now here's what I want you to understand. As a leader, it's okay to make mistakes. Just like it's okay for your people to make mistakes. We're not perfect. But action is required. And so as a leader, you've got to be able to have that vision. You've got to be able to communicate that vision. You've got to be able to gather resources and list people to be a part of that vision. You have to empower. You have to build them up so that they can execute their role in the vision. You've got to be willing to hold them accountable. You've got to be willing to track and monitor the results. And you've got to be able to act quickly when a challenge arises. And then eighth, leaders develop leaders. Nehemiah did this throughout chapter 3. He looked, he worked with people by name, talked to them, gave them instructions, told them how to enlist others in the process. How many of you have heard of the Apostle Paul? He mentored and developed Timothy. How many of you realize that what Jesus really did with the disciples was that he developed them as leaders? How many of you have ever heard of Gandhi? Gandhi actually mentored Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He also mentored Nelson Mandela. Leaders develop other leaders. How many of you have heard of Oprah Winfrey? Did you know that one of her big starts was here in Baltimore television show? Long before she had her national show, she had a show in Baltimore. One of her mentors was Barbara Walters. Barbara Walters was the first female to be a news anchor for a national news. There, by the way, for those of you who aren't of my age, there was a time when you actually had to get your news at uh, 6.30 evening news with either ABC, NBC, or CBS. Okay? That's how you got it. You couldn't get it on your phone. Okay? You actually got 30 minutes. The, 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 the local news was on at 6, and at 6.30, the, the three networks, there were only three at the time, ABC, NBC, CBS. And she was the first female to ever read the news at the 6.30 hour. As powerful as she is, she was also a mentor and developed other leaders. Leaders develop leaders. Why would they do that? First and foremost, they understand that the vision is about the vision and how it benefits the people and what the purpose is. And they don't think of themselves as the important cog. So they understand that if something were to happen to them as a leader, they want the vision to still be executed. The vision is bigger than they are. It's not a, just about them. So they would never leave an organization that didn't have lots of people to run with the vision.
Leaders develop leaders because you ensure the viability of the vision. You know, I had one of those, you know, times. My wife says a lot of things to me at times, like a two-by-four upside my head. But one of those is, as a business person and, and, and certain things, she said to me many years ago, she said, Jimmy, when you leave, you, you leave a big hole. That's not a good thing. That means I was failing as a leader. That means it was more about, you know, it was my inertia, my hard work, not the people. And so I, I had a radical transformation in the way I think. And then as I left organizations, they're better. They're growing at a better pace. So one of the things I learned when you go into an organization, the first thing you do is you look for the people who are going to replace you, and you begin mentoring them. So now whenever I start a new role, the first thing I'm, one of the first things I'm looking for are who are the people I'm going to look at as my possible replacement? And how do I make them better and develop them so that they can step into that role and do a much better job than you and I'm doing? Leaders are about others, so they don't care who gets the credit. They don't care who looks good. The reality is they want other people to look good. The purpose is so important, and they're so passionate about it that they're willing to develop others to be able to take it to an even higher level. And leaders love people. You can love somebody and not lead them, but you can't lead them and not love them. Leadership is about loving people. And in order to love them, you got to know them. If you're leading a classroom as a teacher, you should know your students. You should know their siblings. You should know what household they're in. What's that look like? If you're, if you're working someplace and you're overseeing people, you should know their children's names. They should know your birthday, shouldn't they? They should know what makes you smile. They should know what gets you up in the morning. They should know why you work. Because that's how you really love people. When you care enough to know about them. See, everybody likes to talk about themselves. How cool is it when it's about that? So one of the great studies I love to this point is they were doing a study about air travel, about people. It was really about sharing and, and getting to know people. So they had people, they, were, they would put people on the plane, sit with a stranger. They had specific instructions. One group was to have a conversation with the person next to them. The other group was to just ask about them. And as soon as they got off the plane, they would interview the person that was, they were sitting next to. 
And what happened was the ones that only asked questions and didn't talk about themselves, everybody loved that person. Oh, they were great. And then they would ask him things like, well, what's their name? Well, you know, I don't know. Where are they from? Huh? Huh? I don't know. But the reason why they connected with the person is the person asked about them. Leaders love their people and are willing to find out and serve them. And leaders leave a legacy. How many are familiar with Cal Ripken? Senior. Senior really left a legacy. There was an expression, we're going to do it the Oriole way. That was a lot of Cal Ripken, senior. He was a minor league manager for years before he became third base coach and manager of the Orioles. He literally molded, mentored, and developed not just his son, but many of the Oriole players. And until the mid-1980s, the Orioles were the most successful franchise in all of baseball, in all of sports. With the best winning percentage in baseball, better than the Yankees. Okay? Because they were it was part of that legacy that Cal Sr. had. Nehemiah has a legacy. The wall was a part of that legacy. But what was really a part of his legacy was developing people so that they could be a part of executing that wall, so that they could be a part of building the wall that provided security for them, their children, their spouses, future generations. He developed people so that when he passed away, other people would be there to take care of the city and the people. That's a legacy. What is your legacy going to be? My time has come to a close. I want to just share one thing. There's a guy by the name of <clears throat> Richard Kirkland, Confederate soldier in Fredericksburg, 1862, December. The uh, Confederate and Union soldiers had just had a battle of Fredericksburg. The South had actually retreated from Fredericksburg to actually get in a better position. And so the Union soldiers were able to take Fredericksburg, but then they realized, oops, Nobody was here. There's something going on. And on the 13th of December, the Confederate soldiers wounded over 5,000 Union soldiers. And throughout the night, they were crying, weeping, gnashing. They said it was horrible. Understand that the Civil War, we lost more soldiers in the Civil War, nearly 700,000 men, than we have in every war combined. And so Richard Chamberlain went to his commander and said, hey, I'd like to go outside the wall. He's like, that's pretty dangerous. He goes, no, I really need to go minister to the Union troops. And he climbed the wall, and when he jumped over on the other side, there were shots fired because they figured he was coming out to what? Go after him. The shots quickly ceased when they saw him take his jacket off put it over a Union soldier, give the canteen to their lips, and let them take water. For the next hour and a half, he went back and forth, getting more water, helping, holding the hand, rocking, talking, ministering to the Union soldiers. 
the bloodiest war we've ever been involved with, actually did ceased for 90 minutes. Think he cared about people? Do you think he understood what his mission is? What's your mission? What's God calling you to?